0: I don't know what uh, gets you excited, but what gets pastors excited sometimes is the prospect of being able to preach through one of your favorite chapters in the Bible, and that's what I get to do starting today, John chapter 15, The Vine and the Branches. We start a brand new series called Be Fruitful and Multiply, so I'm very excited about it. So um, if you have your device or your Bible, go ahead and go to John 15. It's also, uh, the text is going to be printed out on the study outline that's in your worship folder there, so you can... Pull that out as well. And I really believe that uh, the insights that we're going to discover in John 15 have application for each and every one of us today. John chapter 15 records a portion of what Jesus Christ said to his now 11 disciples on Thursday evening of Passion Week. It's part of what has been called Jesus' farewell discourse contains some of his final words to his disciples before his arrest later on that night. So he, he knew he would be leaving them shortly, and he wanted to make one final deposit of truth into their lives. And that's what we'll be uh, reading about in a few moments. And so envision that as they made their way that night from the upper room out into the night and heading down towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Apparently they passed through a vineyard. And uh, as was his custom, Jesus wanted to capitalize on that occasion, and he used it to teach them some very vital truth. So listen to what he said, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. and that your joy may be full. This is the word of of our Lord. Can you just feel the the richness and the weightiness of Jesus' teaching here? There's a simplicity there and, and yet a depth that should cause us to marvel. No wonder people said, never a man spoke like this man. Now, as was often the case, Jesus was teaching here on multiple levels, and I think the context helps us discern several of his intentions. Within a matter of weeks, those very men, those 11 men, would be thrust into leading a brand new movement that basically was going to blow up overnight, the church, and Jesus knew that was coming, and I believe he was equipping his disciples with what they would need to lead thousands of people into a new era, the era of the church age. But I think also at the same time, he was helping these men process what had just happened in the upper room. Namely, the defection of Judas, who just moments before had walked out on them to carry out his devious plan. And I imagine the rest of the disciples were thinking, how could he do that? Wasn't he one of us? And so I think Jesus here was using the vine and the branches to explain the Judas phenomenon and then no doubt he was preparing his men for a lifetime of ministry, wasn't he? Ministry in a high-demand, high-stress environment where they were going to face lots of opposition, a challenge that could suck the life out of them and leave them depleted and disheartened and perhaps ready to quit. And Jesus knew that he didn't have a plan B for his mission to be carried out. So much rested on the shoulders of these 11 guys, and so They had to know how to to replenish, how to fortify their souls in the midst of a stress-filled ministry life. Thus, the words of John 15. But it's clear to me that Jesus was also doing something else. That he was explaining to his disciples what it really means to be a disciple of his, a, a follower of Christ. The vineyard gave Jesus the perfect analogy for capturing the essence of discipleship. What's at the core of being a follower of Christ? What the Christian life is really all about. Now lately I've been in ongoing conversations with a a couple of guys, a couple of young men. Both of them raised in church and and the conversation is centered around this very thing. What what the Christian life is at its core. What what it's all about. And as we've talked, what's becoming evident to me, and, and I think they're realizing it as well, is that what each of them grew up with was actually not the real thing. It was more like a a cheap imitation, an off-brand of Christianity that has left them unsatisfied. It's kind of like when your taste buds are crying out for an ice-cold swig of root beer. I mean, does that ever happen to you? And so, you know, you don't have any at home, so you go up to the store to pick up a a two-liter there, and you want to satisfy your craving. But instead of springing for... A&W or, or IBC for a couple of bucks, you decide to go cheap and pick up a two-liter of Giant Eagle root beer <laughs> or Big K cola. You know what I'm talking about? When I do that, and I do it too often, I always end up regretting it, you know, because when you had your heart set on the real thing that burns all the way down and leaves foam on your lips, the cheap off-brand imitation stuff just doesn't cut it. I think these two guys' experience of Christianity had left them with kind of a bad taste in their mouth. I don't think what they were given was true name brand Christianity. I really don't. And so we talk a lot about discovering the what it really is. What Jesus had in mind when he talked about being a Christian. And certainly, if anybody knows what genuine Christianity is, it's Christ, right? The Christ of Christianity, and so. In this series, we're going to eavesdrop on his conversation in the vineyard that night and see if we can gain some insight into this. And I think we should note that Jesus here was not specifically talking about how to become a Christian, how to become a follower of his. These men were already his followers. The full explanation of the good news of his atoning sacrifice for sin and the necessity of placing trust and faith in his shed blood as the price of redemption, all of that would come later, would be more fully explained and developed by these same men, as well as the Apostle Paul. But here in the vineyard, Jesus is speaking of what the already redeemed life looks like and feels like on a daily basis. And so, in your mind, picture a vineyard, and notice that the first thing Jesus does is he explains how things work in the vineyard. We need to understand the roles and responsibilities there. And so he said, uh, my father is the vine dresser. We would, that's not a term we would use. We would say gardener. My father is the gardener in the vineyard. What does the gardener do? What's the gardener's job? Well, it's to, to clip off and remove the dead branches, right? And gather them up, bundle them up and burn them. And also to prune the branches that are bearing fruit so that they will Be even more fruitful. That's the role of the gardener. And then twice Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the true vine. What's what's the job of the vine? Well, it's to provide life and nourishment to the branches and and, and flow into them and cause them to bear fruit. And then he says, you are the branches. There's the gardener and the vine, and and you're the branches. And what's the job of of the branches? Well, it's to produce clusters of, of grapes as long as they stay connected to the vine, right? The life-giving connection with the vine. And so it's clear to me that that through this analogy, Jesus wants to get several important things across about what is the real thing, what is name-brand Christianity. And so first of all, number one there, name-brand Christianity means having a life-giving, internal, organic relationship with Jesus. Amen? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. That's the essence of Christianity. Now, you probably know some people who think that Christianity is, in essence, a list of rules, right? A a code of conduct that you've got to live by in order to be accepted by God. Others think it's a bunch of ethical teachings that if people would just follow those ethical teachings, then the world would be a better place, which is why to them Christianity is just one of many options for improving society. But if Jesus is teaching anything here through the analogy of the vineyard, it's this. The Christian life the Christian life, is more a matter of internal life flow than external compliance with a code of conduct. I mean, I guess Jesus could have said, I am the pinion gear and you are the flywheel. Or I'm the driver and you're the chariot or something like that. But apparently he wanted to paint a picture of something more relational than mechanical. Something vibrant and living and alive and dynamic. Organic. The vine and the branches. And what he's describing is, is... what you could call life transference, life, life actually flowing from the source right into our souls. That's how it works in the vineyard, and that's how it works in the Christian life, according to Jesus. You can add a second insight that's also evident from the analogy, and it's this, the Christian life, listen, is more about dynamic interconnection to Christ than superficial outward external attachment to Christianity or church. I wonder when it dawned on Jesus' disciples exactly that Jesus was explaining the Judas phenomenon to them. Think about it here he was, their buddy, this guy they'd shared life with for three years, right? Just like the rest of them, he had been associated with Jesus, attached, externally connected like one of those branches that was attached to the vine but it's like Jesus was saying yes Judas was with us but did you guys ever see any fruit was there any evidence that my life was flowing into that man's soul and nourishing him and and filling him up with joy and overflowing out from him onto others did you ever see any of that I did some pruning of the tree in my front yard uh, earlier this spring with my pruning shears. And um, it caught my attention that as I, w- I was clipping away, some of the branches were, were so brittle and dead that, that I barely nudged them and they just snapped off and fell to the ground. Dead branches. They were branches, but they were dead. No life flowing through them, no sap flowing through them, no, no leaves. You know what those branches were? They were Judas branches. That's what they were. You see, Jesus was using dead branches to refer to Christian, Christian phonies, imposters. People who claim to know Jesus, they have an outward attachment to Christ or to church, but they they resist his life flowing into their life. They don't want that. That's what Judas was. Believe me, he knew the lingo. He talked like a Christian, he walked like a Christian, he hung out with other followers of Jesus. They thought he was one of them, but he wasn't. There was no life flowing into him. And when the allure of making money got too strong and when the heat of opposition got too hot, he fell away, didn't he? In fact, what Jesus would say is that the gardener cut him off and cast him into the fire. Listen, the essence of name brand Christianity is not having some sort of superficial attachment to Christ or to the church that keeps your conscience from bothering you too much or keeps your mom off your back. It's not keeping a list of rules. It's not going through the religious motions. It's not observing a bunch of rituals. It's not knowing the lingo or wearing the clothes or having the bumper sticker it is being so intimately connected to Jesus at a soul level that his very life is flowing through you. That's what it is. His life becoming your life. I know that might sound strange to some people's ears, but it's true. And, and that's what I'm attempting to get across to those two guys. The, the, the real thing, genuine Christian living, is the overflow of a dynamic, life-giving relationship with Jesus. One, of the, one day after talking with one of them about this, he got quiet, he got kind of thoughtful, and he said, well, you know, Steve, if, if what you're saying is true, then I don't think I'm a Christian. And I thought, maybe not yet, but it won't be long. For Christ's life is flowing into your life and flowing through your life. Well, let's go a little bit deeper here. I think there's an obvious implication of this idea of life being transferred from the source to us because I think what Jesus was saying is that the real thing, name brand Christianity, also involves cultivating a moment-by-moment absolute dependence upon Christ. What did he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself except it abide in the vine. Growing up, we had a a grapevine in our backyard. I grew up on the West Coast, not that far from Napa Valley, where there's a lot of grapes and grapevines. And uh, we had a, a grapevine in our backyard. And on a hot summer day, me and my buddy Jeff, after yet another game of wiffle ball in my backyard, to cool off we'd take a quick dip in our little above ground pool there and then we'd run around the back to where my dad had constructed kind of a makeshift trellis that had grapevines intertwined all over it with luscious huge juicy green and purple grapes hanging from it so refreshing on a hot summer day do you know once what? what not once did i ever observe a cluster of grapes growing on a branch that was detached from the vine, like laying there on the ground, you know, growing a beautiful cluster of grapes. Not once did I ever observe that. You know why? Because the branch is utterly dependent upon the vine to produce fruit. Utterly dependent. Do you know what the essence of true Christian living is? It is walking in moment by moment by moment conscious dependence upon Jesus Christ to live his life through you and produce fruit. We just sang about it a few minutes ago. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, minute, second, I need you, Lord. Do you feel that in your life? Do you feel it, the dependence upon Jesus? You know, I know many of you in this room love the Lord. You love Christ. You're you're a follower of his. Many of you have a ministry either inside the walls of this church or outside the walls of this church. But I just want to ask you when you when you're getting prepared to minister in whatever setting that is, do you do you pray and express your dependence upon the Lord? You know, almost all the time before I come up here to teach, I have this little conversation with Jesus, you know, and it kind of goes like this, "Lord, I'm not going up there if you're not going up there." <laughs> I mean, what am I going to say, you know? I, I got nothing to say. If you're not energizing and animating the Word of God and taking it off the page and embedding it in the hearts of your people so that fruit is born, why go up there? I'm not going if you're not going with me. Do you, do you pray that way in anticipation of your ministry? Lord, if, if anything good's going to happen here, if any, if any life is going to be touched, if any good is going to be done, any eternal good, I need you. I want to be an open channel for you to flow through. and Bless the people. Conscious, moment-by-moment dependence upon the Lord. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the corollary is, anything you do accomplish apart from him, guess what? Is nothing. I need the Lord every moment of every day, and so do you. I, I started a list of reasons why I'm so dependent upon Jesus. I need Jesus just to live another day, just to keep my heart beating, my lungs working, my brain functioning. All of my life functions are dependent upon Jesus. Did you know that? I need Jesus if I'm going to be of benefit to anybody in my life because in my flesh dwells no good thing. And in my flesh, I'm just about me. You know, Serve me, worship me, make my life easy. I need Jesus' life in me to counter all of that. I need Jesus because I need cleansing from the sin in my heart from yesterday to cleanse me from wanting to be my own Lord and Savior. I need Jesus to empower me with his love to care for people that I wouldn't normally care for because we're different, you know, or we have a history and we got crosswise with each other. I need Jesus in me to love people through me. Apart from that, I'll just hang out with people that I like, that are like me. I need him to empower me to serve others in his power. I need him to produce spiritual fruit through my life. For those and a thousand other reasons, I am dependent, utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. I know I need to abide close to him. How about you? You feel it? Jesus also revealed a third element of true christianity that i think sheds even more light on this idea of abiding third true christianity means pursuing and enjoying two-way communion with christ two-way communion with him if you abide in me and my words abide in you then ask whatever you wish he said and it will be done for you Friday uh, is, is my day off every week, and, um, you know, our kids are grown now, and so they're, they're not around as much, and so on most Fridays, my wife and I get up whenever we want. We routinely sleep in, and when we feel like getting up, we get up, and then we head downstairs, we brew up a pot of hot coffee, and we sit in our rocking chairs, and we turn on some nice worship music, and we just be we don't do anything we just be we love friday mornings, and after we drain our coffee we usually take some time to listen to god's word and then to pray together pray together i'm amazed at the growth in my wife's prayer life over the past several years i i think she surely outpraised me no question about it and one thing i've noticed is that she is intent on on praying God's word back to him. I kid you not, she's got like four spiral notebooks filled with scriptural prayers. And when we're praying, she'll pull one of those out and she'll start praying God's word back to him. Just like it says here, if your words, my words abide in you, ask what you wish. And see what happens is, is when when you're being saturated in the word of God, then you're starting to ask him for things that he already wants to do because you're in alignment with his will through his word. I love listening to my wife pray scriptural prayers on Friday mornings. It it does my heart good. She prays for me, for our marriage, for our kids, our friends. She prays for you, our church, our small group. It's beautiful to hear. That's the kind of communing with Jesus that he's describing in verse 7. Do you see it? Him speaking to us through his word and then us responding back to him in prayer. Two-way communication like you would expect in a healthy relationship. The word and prayer, the word and prayer, prayer and the word, the word and prayer. This is the sacred rhythm of those who abide in Jesus. And did you notice the the promise of answered prayer that's reserved for abiders? This is a sacred trust that God gives to those whose hearts are aligned with his will through his word. And I I believe that answered prayers are some of the fruit that Jesus was talking about here. And speaking of fruit, let's talk about that for a moment. The fruit, because it's obvious that fruit is a prominent theme all throughout John 15. It's the reason you have a vineyard in the first place, right? To produce fruit. And I think it's obvious from this passage that What Jesus is trying to say is that the essence of following me is seeing lots of fruit, lots of God-glorifying fruit produced by the vine through your life. Isn't that what he's trying to get across? He talks about fruit, and he talks about more fruit, and he talks about much fruit, which means there's to be this progress in your life of becoming more and more fruitful. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit which kind of begs the question, what is fruit? I mean, we know what it is in the agricultural world. It's grapes, it's apples, it's peaches, it's pomegranates, it's whatever, but what is it in the, in the scriptural sense? Well, I remembered back to my 8th grade, I think it was 8th grade, Fred, science class, where I learned, I did learn something in 8th grade, not much, but I did learn this, that fruit is simply excess life. That's what fruit is. It's, it's the overflow of excess life. Fruit basically erupts from the life force in the branch. that's flowing from the root up through the trunk or the vine and into the branch. I mean, you can have good fruit and not so good fruit, but we're, we're talking about the Christian life for Jesus followers. The fruit should be good because the life is good because it's his life, right? his life we're drawing on if you do a word study of fruit you discover that for true believers in the new testament fruit refers to all of those good and godly things that are produced in and through us when the life of jesus is flowing into our lives and out from our lives fruit is the overflow of excess life his life and so what forms does it take well we already saw that answered prayer is fruit other passages tell us that sincere worship is fruit and righteous living is fruit and generous giving is fruit and Christ-like character is fruit. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. Fruit, that's a, a picture of Christ, a portrait of his character. But I would contend that the primary fruit Jesus has in mind here is this. Other people impacted spiritually by your life. Fruit. Fruit. Your life, the life of Jesus in you, flowing out from you and touching people so that they are blessed and changed. A few verses later, Jesus will say, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bring forth fruit, fruit that will last. Talking about people. Romans 1, Paul would say, I want to come and visit you so that I can have some fruit among you. (laughs) He wasn't talking about grapes. He was talking about converts, new disciples, lives impacted through the life of Jesus. Listen, if you don't remember anything else from this sermon, remember what's in the box there. Jesus intends for his life flowing through your life to impact others' lives. Is that in the box? Would you say that with me? Jesus intends for his life flowing through your life to impact others' lives. That is the normal Christian life. One of my joys as a pastor, one of my many joys as a pastor, is to help new people who are hanging out here, newer people, to get connected with you people so that the life of Jesus in you can spill out onto them. I want them to have what you have, and I want you to have huge bushels of fruit hanging off of your life because the life of Jesus is flowing through you. It's one of my great joys. Bearing fruit. Someone might ask, well, I want that. I I want my life to be used by Christ to impact others. How how can I be more fruitful? Jesus gave some insight on that, didn't he? Here's another element of name brand Christianity, and this one mystifies a lot of folks because what he's saying is that it includes pruning. <laughs> yeah, you want to bear fruit for Jesus? You've got to go under the knife. Or be pruned by his word, which he said in verse 3, you are already clean, the same word pruned, trimmed back by the word that I have spoken to you. He has two tools for pruning, trials and the word of God. Name brand Christianity includes experiencing painful pruning for greater fruitfulness. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Oh, how important it is for us to understand what Jesus was revealing here. He's giving us a peek behind the curtain to see the activity of the gardener. The father, the gardener the gardener who is at work in our lives carefully tending to us by pruning away the little sucker branches that are siphoning off the life of Jesus his life-giving flow do you believe the gardener is wise in his wisdom and love he's removing those things that we've allowed to grow in our hearts that will ultimately hinder fruitfulness that's what pruning is and so I got to thinking about this, and I wonder, can you, can you remember back in your life, can you identify some times in your life where God was pruning you for greater fruitfulness? Are there times like that? Perhaps it was a time when something was taken away from you that you thought at the time you could not live without. I mean, how can I go on without that position at that company? How can I go on without this house that... We're losing. How can I go on without this income or this relationship? I can't tell you how many times I've sat usually with a woman (laughs) who says, you know, I was in this relationship with this guy and I thought it was going to be great and he was everything to me and, you know, we thought it was heading somewhere and then then it fell apart. And she's like, "I I was devastated. And then often she'll say, but you know what? Looking back now, from this vantage point, I am so glad that relationship didn't go any further than it did. God was protecting me. God was pruning me. I I was too vested in that. <laughs> when that happens, at first you're usually devastated, maybe even mad at God. How, how hard it is, isn't it? How painful it is to lose something that had meant so much to you. But but now, hopefully, looking back, you can see the hand of the gardener. You can see he was pruning you and maybe protecting you and surely providing something better for you. What felt like loss has now turned out for your gain. You know what I'm talking about? Has anybody experienced this pruning? Okay, five of you, 10 of you? (laughs) I have. Listen to me, Christian. When we allow something to become more precious to us than Christ, when we treasure that thing above him, then that thing or that person has become what? An idol. An idol in our hearts, something that we look to for our security, for our value, for our worth, to feel good about ourselves, to feel like we matter or that we're important. But we know this, no idol, no false god, no... Functional substitute savior can do for us what only God has promised, the true God? You've heard me say this before. When a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. And when the gracious gardener who is tenderly caring for our hearts sees idolatry in our hearts, you know this, he's not averse to taking out his pruning shears and lopping off those things which are siphoning away the life-giving flow of Jesus' life in us. So I ask you, do you trust the gardener? Do you trust the Father? Do you have a history with him? Do you have a track record with God of his faithfulness? And yes, taking you under the knife at times, but the pain always has a purpose, always has a purpose, because the heart of the gardener is good. Do you know that at a heart level? I hope so. You can trust the gardener. Learn to accept his pruning. All right, there's a lot here. Let me draw one last insight about the essence of true Christianity, the normal Christian life from this teaching. Number six, it involves gladly seeking to obey Christ in response to Christ's love for us. To obey Christ. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, this is where, right here is where Christianity parts ways with other religions of this world. Other religions basically say, obey and God will accept you jesus comes along and says you're already accepted in me now obey as a response to my love and that's different it's categorically different this is not law-based obligation this is grace prompted obedience and they're different you see as christians we seek to obey christ not because we have to but because we want to we want to please our lord right I mean, this is one of the, 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 the fruit of his life flowing in us, is desire to please Christ. I don't know about you, but I, I want to obey Christ. I, I want my life to be a reflection of his. I want to see his smile and his pleasure. Like John wrote, his commands are not burdensome. Not when the life of Christ is flowing through you. They, they become your delight. Like I, I want to please Jesus. This is grace-based obedience. Now, some people think this. Some people are contemplating Christianity. They think, you know what? Well, if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to give up all the fun stuff I like doing. I mean, I'm going to have to give up chasing after money all the time and trying to get rich. I know he's going to want me to give up having sex outside of marriage. There's a lot to give up to become a Christian. But in thinking that way, I believe they've made Christianity both too easy and too hard. I think they've made it too hard because if you have to clean up your life before you can become a Christian, that's hard. (laughs) Like, how clean do you have to be? Well, I only viewed porn one time last week. I hope God's happy with that. Instead of blowing up at my wife yesterday and blowing a gasket, I just got a little bit angry. I mean, is that okay? They made it too hard. How do you ever really know if you've cleaned up Enough. But they've also made it too easy because what Jesus really wants, listen, the the lesson of the vine and the branches, what Jesus really wants is not just to clean up their behavior. He wants to be the reason they get up out of bed every morning. He wants to be the reason they go to work every day. He wants to be the reason they go out and play golf or have a meal out or attend their kids' ball game. Jesus wants to be their life. You want so much more than just kind of clean up your behavior a little bit or shape your moral conscience. Isn't that the lesson here? I'm the vine. Life comes from me. I want my life to be your life. You see, Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He doesn't want to be like another accessory in your life, like I've got my iPhone and I've got my tablet and I've got Jesus. I'm all set. No, 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 no. Jesus wants to be your life. He wants to be your source, your reason, your treasure, your power, your joy. What Jesus really desires is an all-consuming relationship with us in which everything we do and say is fruit. Fruit erupting from his life in us, nourishing the people around us, refreshing them. This is the real thing. This is name brand Christianity. Friends, this is the normal Christian life. But is it possible that my old professor was right when he once said so many Christians are living subnormal Christian lives that when someone comes along actually living the normal Christian life, they seem abnormal, i.e. weird. Listen, we are not the We are not the vine. We're not the gardener. Don't don't spend your life going around trying to prune people. It won't go well. I just take it from someone who's done that. We're not the vine. We don't have the life residing in us. We're the branches. And the branches are to what? Abide. Isn't that a great word? Say it with me. Abide. Say it with a low guttural tone. Abide. Where that came from. <laughs> abide. What does it mean? It means to, to remain close, doesn't it? To stay intimately connected with Jesus. We are to abide, abide in the vine. As I finish, I want to challenge you to consider something very practical today as branches. We've got a bunch of branches here today. Hopefully, living branches that life is flowing through. You know, for centuries, Christians have sought to strengthen their abiding, to deepen and strengthen it through some practical, proven practices, cultivating them in their life. You can call them holy habits, you can call them spiritual disciplines or rhythms of grace. I just call them the three habits. And uh, I'm just going to touch on them briefly today. Say them with me. They're in a box there at the bottom of the outline. Number one, daily quiet time with Christ. Number two, weekly connection time with a small group. And three, monthly sharpening time with a spiritual partner. Now, these are, these are, are rhythms. Can you, can you feel the rhythm daily Weekly, monthly, what I've found is these habits can fuel and feed each other as they work together to help you abide on a deeper level. Daily quiet time with Christ. I, um, I like to have mine in the morning. Like before, you know, I, I try not to talk to any humans before 9 a.m. because it might not go well. <laughs> I want to talk with Jesus first, I want to hear him first, and then I might be of benefit human beings throughout the day I, I call it a front end alignment it's like I get my day aligned on the front end and it's it's his words coming to me and my words coming back to him it's that two-way communion daily quiet time with Christ I love our new life journal if you don't have one of these yet I'm just going to mention it it's you can get it in the bookstore it's got bible reading plans it's got prayer plans it's got a place for your small group write their prayer requests in and questions for you and your spiritual partner to talk about with each other daily quiet time with christ in my mind essential for abiding Then the weekly connection time with a small group a, a group of people who fellow imperfect abiders right who are on the journey and you're with some others and you're trying to figure this thing out and you realize i'm not alone i'm not alone i got others who are speaking into my life and caring for me and i'm caring for them and and we're doing this thing together. And then teaming up with, with another person and call them a spiritual partner or a mentor. Song with Michael just last week, right down here, about the, the the power of being in a mentoring relationship and how it can shape and mold our hearts and sharpen each other. You know, so once a month, at least, once a month, you're you're out getting coffee with someone and you're You know, you're sharing your stories with each other. You're finding those connection points in your stories. You're talking about walking close to Christ. You're opening your life up a little bit more than maybe you even do in small group. These are powerful tools. That's what they are, tools for learning to abide more deeply with Christ. And we'll talk about these more in upcoming weeks, so I hope you'll be here for that. But let me finish by asking you Right here at the beginning of August, can I ask you to take a personal spiritual inventory right now? So bow your heads, would you? Think about your walk with Christ. If if, if you have one, think about your walk with Christ. Is, is it what you want? I mean, is it, is it what you want? Is Is, is it everything that... Jesus is describing here in John 15 or is the truth about you that you're settling for a cheap imitation off-brand of so-called Christianity that's leaving you very unsatisfied? Man, I pray that the Lord prompts you to trade in the imitation, the counterfeit for the real thing. The real thing that burns all the way down into your soul if you'd like me to pray for you regarding that very thing would you just lift your hand right now steve i feel like i've been settling for something less than what jesus wants for me anybody else lots of folks you put your hands down maybe where you're at today you're just saying you know what i i hear your teaching or jesus teaching on john 15 and the life flow i i don't think i have that. i i want to become a real christian today no longer a a skeptic, no longer an agnostic, no longer a phony, I don't want to play any more games with God. I want Jesus' life flowing through me. I'm ready to believe, to fully entrust my life to Jesus. If that's where you're at today, would you slip up your hand as well? Because I want to pray for you in, in a prayer in just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our vine, for being the source of life, source of everything good, source of fruit. May we be a church, a congregation full of people who have huge clusters of grapes hanging off of our lives because the channel is open and your life is flowing through us unhindered, your love and your truth and your joy. It's overflowing onto others and they're being refreshed and nourished by your life through us. I pray for my friends in the room who feel like their experience of Christianity is something less than what we've just described in John 15, what you described. May you show them the first steps of what it means to trade in the old, cheap, off-brand and begin to embark on a journey of experiencing the real thing, your life flowing through them. For those few, Lord, who say, today I'm ready to believe and become a true Christian, Give them the faith to turn away from their old life and to turn to you in full confidence that your sacrifice on the cross was enough. Give them your life, Jesus. May they be born anew, born again today, in this moment. We worship you now in your precious name.